Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 168, week 168, volume 168, number fucking 168. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Alex of Undeath, and that will be coming up later in the show. Nothing really to start off the show with, so we're going to roll straight into the main part of the show. As I said earlier, this week's guest is Alex of Undeath, and the first thing I'm going to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Undeath? For the uneducated and the unaware, they are a band that formed in 2018, one EP demo to their name, and also a recently released album. To say there's excitement and buzz behind this band is a massive underplay and undersell. This band deserves every bit of excitement they are getting. For a band that's only played a handful of shows and has this kind of groundswell of momentum, it's fucking amazing to see. Style-wise, it's old-school fucking death metal. It's fine wine fucking death metal. You know, it's perfect for windmilling, perfect for moshing. It's just fucking perfect fucking death metal. They're a band that, as I said, the stock is rising heavily for, and they're a band that I highly recommend. If you have any, any preference over death metal, this band are definitely one you should check out. You may have already heard of them, but get into this band, because this band is going to fucking blow up. Do not underestimate what I said there. Blow up. Great band. Great fucking music. And a bunch of great dudes. Like, Alex was exceptional. Such a great guy, so laid back. The chemistry with us was there from the offset. I enjoyed every fucking moment. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I hope you do too. That chat with Alex is coming up now. So everyone gets the same start-off question, and it's I don't mean a heavy band when I ask this question, but just a band in general. But do you remember becoming obsessed and really into an artist as a kid that was the one that opened your world to music being a thing? Oh, man, that is a good question. I can think of a handful of bands off the top of my head that I became, that I was like a fan of in a casual way growing up. But honestly, uh, the first band that I think I became like truly obsessive over was probably At The Drive-In. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, when I was about, like 14 or 15, I want to say, mm-hmm. because, you know, at that point I had kind of exhausted my parents' record collection, you know, like my dad was into all of the, the quote unquote, like entry level punk bands, like the clash and sex pistols and whatever. And he also had like a pretty good, like psychedelic collection and, you know, all the crowd rock stuff like can and those bands and, my mom was much more of a singer songwriter type person like Elton John, James Taylor. And I was a fan of all that stuff, but you know, at the drive-in specifically relationship of command, they're, they're let one, well, they got back together since, but uh, I would call that like their seminal album. Mm-hmm. Um, that was massive for me. I, I remember I saw the one arm scissor video and it just, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, the big thing for me, as as like shallow as this is, is the singer had Cedric. He had a huge curly head of hair, <laughs> and me at the time, I was like a, 
you know, 14, 15 year old Jewish kid from the suburbs. And I saw like, granted that his is much cooler, but I also had like a huge curly head of hair. I was like, oh, alas, like representation. <laughs> but um, that was, that was a big deal. And then obviously once you got beyond that, like the music was incredible, of course. And uh, that kind of took me on a whole journey toward going back through this, their discography and learning as much as I could about them. And I was just purely obsessive for, a number of years i still listen to them pretty frequently but and then of course everybody goes off and goes off and listens to uh the mars volta next mm -hmm. obviously but mm -hmm. and i am a fan for sure but they never just scratch the same itch that at the drive-in did no i mean i mean i i remember when that album came out as well and it was it was phenomenal but i mean for for a kid you know at your age 14 ish that you're saying when you discover it it's quite an adjustment going from radio or, you know, house-friendly music to that. So did it take you a while to kind of really accept the quote-unquote aggressiveness of it? Because it's not really aggressive, but it is juxtaposing to what we you were normally hearing. Yeah, for sure. I, I think with, with that, the drive-in, it was a little bit more natural. But I do remember around the same time I had experiences with bands like Converge mm -hmm. or uh, Between the Barry to Me, stuff like that. And uh, obviously very different bands, but they both have a lot of like just heavy screaming parts, especially Converge. I mean, Jacob Bannon just like shrieks. Like mm -hmm. I was just, I remember, I remember being pretty young, probably right around the same time that I was really getting into At The Drive-In and somebody in my high school who was really into hardcore recommended me Converge. And I remember listening to probably 15 seconds of Homewrecker. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> like, I vividly remember just as soon as the vocals kicked in, I was like, oh, I, I, I need to give this a couple of years on the back burner and come back <laughs> to it. And I did, you know, when I was a little bit older, probably 17 ish, I, I got huge into that band, but for a band like at the drive-in, you know, obviously Cedric's screaming and basically the whole time, but he's doing it with such a, a melodic sensibility that it wasn't that jarring for me i mean my parents absolutely hated it but mm -hmm. for me it was it, it wasn't so crazy that i couldn't digest it and i think me being able to get really into that band early on made more bands with more harsh screaming throughout more accessible later on and it sounds like there that, you know, you obviously had a network around you that were also showing you music. So what was your discovery like at that age? Were you literally just relying on what other people would recommend or, you know, someone like myself, it was all about what record label it was on or it was about what T-shirts bands were wearing in promos. So where were you with your discovery? It was it was a mix of all sorts of things, man. I mean, uh I'm definitely like a, a child of the internet in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And when I was growing up, you know, there were the the classic ways of discovering bands, like the stuff that you described, you know, going through thank yous and seeing what bands the other bands thanked and t-shirts that they're wearing in the promos and all that stuff. You know, that was definitely really important. But for me, it was just going on message boards was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, being just a kid and going on like the newgrounds.com message board or uh, like 4chan back before it was just a, a nightmare cesspool <laughs> and going on there and just asking people like, hey, you know, I'm really into At The Driving or I'm really into Converge or I'm really into Cursed or Iron Maiden or whatever shit I was really into. Like, what else should I listen to? And having 80% of the people tell you to kill yourself <laughs> and then 20% of the people give you actual good recommendations, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a trial by fire in that sense, but 
that was how I discovered a lot of bands was just like trolling the internet and just scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of message board threads, just trying to find shit that was in any way similar to what I was already into. And last FM was a huge part of that too. I mean, I know last FM is still around, but I used to use that for everything. You know, I would just go on a page of a band that I was getting into, like, you know, I'm getting really into some equal vision records band, right? Like bear versus shark. Mm. And then I look them up and then I see all of the, you know, people who listen to this typically listen to this. And then from then you go on and you start listening to like quicksand or, you know, the list goes on. And yeah, so really it just all comes back to the internet. That was, that was huge for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those things are used as well. I mean, it is, it's a pivotal place. I know some people say nowadays it's a, you know, a negative place for music discovery but it's really not it, it it is kind of pivotal um but what about you with high school were you when did you decide that music was more than something you were into because you know you're at a pivotal time in your learning curve at school so I mean what are you focused on mm-hmm. in your years at, of high school you know it's like it, it's tough to say specifically because as lame as it might sound i feel like from as long as i can remember i i've just wanted to be involved in music in some capacity you know i i think i i had some formative experiences early on just like going to see bands in high school and just having relatives like my uncle was super into like just old hip-hop and metal and stuff and he introduced me to a lot of albums and bands in that world and uh, it was just a, a mix of really crucial experiences that occurred to me at a highly impressionable time in my life, you know, and it, it, there was never really another option. Like I, I had, I, and I still have things that I'm interested in, you know, there's, there's other pursuits that I have, but number one in my life has always been music from as long as I can remember. But I think like, actually seeing bands on stage, you know, going to local shows here in Rochester and seeing hardcore bands and punk bands and metal bands and all of this stuff where it was just so approachable and you could actually hang out with the people in the bands after they were done playing, you know, there was, it kind of shattered any mysticism that I, that I held about music and performance. And I think seeing those walls come down at the age that I did was very important for sure. It is, and you know that leads me into a question I wanted to ask. You know, local scene um, per se. You know, I don't like the word scene, but it's just the most relative one that you can use. Obviously, it was a pivotal thing for you. So, was it a very vibrant, you know, underground alternative scene that you were around? And then the second part of the question is, you know, were, were you seeing local bands getting out there that were? you know, getting out of the state and getting out of the area. Were you seeing examples that you could give it a run? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rochester has always had just a very varied and, and, you know, it it ebbs and flows, but there's always some degree of participation in the the local music scene. You know, right now things are a little bit slow just because obviously we're coming out of COVID and there haven't been shows here in over a year, but things are starting back up. But, especially when I was a kid, you know, I'm talking like freshman, sophomore year in high school, when I first started getting introduced to the scene around here, uh, there were tons of great bands that I really looked up to. And, you know, I think of, if I'm just rattling them off, like there was a band called Fort Tongues that was huge for me. Uh, they were just kind of like 
I don't want to say metalcore because that kind of gives it a bad taste, but it was like a like metal influenced hardcore. You know, mm-hmm. it was like clearly hardcore dudes playing hardcore music, but they had like this this whisper of metal going through it, and you know they played out of like dual wrecks and orange amps and shit, and <laughs> they were just they were awesome. And I just I remember the first show I ever went to here, they played, and I just thought it was the sickest shit I'd ever seen in my whole life, and that was a huge band and. There's a band called Death Camp from here that was just more like straightforward hardcore. They kind of went in a, a rock and rolly kind of direction later on, but they were huge. And then the second part of your question, seeing bands get out of the state, Death Camp was the one that kind of made me realize that was possible because a lot of bands from Rochester, they kind of come around, they play a couple shows around here, maybe play out once or twice, go play Philly, go play Brooklyn, Richmond, whatever, and then release an ep and then they break up and all the same members go on and do a different band but which is fine i mean if that's the the trajectory you want to take that that's more than okay but with death camp i remember being so impressed because not only did they go on tour you know they played five or six shows in a row which for me was insane and they got out to dc and these places that to me were just so far away still but they also released a seven inch like on a label and I thought that was crazy. And I remember uh, going to their release show and getting a copy of that 7-inch and just being so uh, staggered by the fact that somebody outside of Rochester like put this out, you know, mm. and, and cared. And that kind of really lit a fire under my ass and wanted, made me want to participate more and, and start bands and, you know, so I could have that for myself. And of course, you know, you're known as a vocalist. So when was the moment that you decided that vocals was what you wanted to give a shot at? I mean, did you try an instrument first or was vocals always the one thing that you wanted to be? I definitely tried an instrument first and, and I'm, I'm still trying, uh, <laughs> trying and, and, you know, failing. But, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to play guitar way back in the day. I remember my parents got me a like what was the brand it was like ion or something i think it was like a a walmart or target brand like starter guitar and it came with a tiny little like battery powered amp Mm -hmm. and i probably got that when i was like 13 maybe a little bit younger 12 or 11 and you know i I just i never had the discipline for it you know I, i i know a lot of people who you know get guitars gifted to them when they're around the same age and it just kind of connects with them in some chemical way where they're just like okay now i need to practice this five and a half hours a day every day for the rest of my life and i respect that 100 percent, but it's just never been me you know i was so into like hardcore and punk at the time that i just never the idea of like learning theory or scales mm. or even the basic rudiments of music was just ludicrous to me <laughs> <laughs> i was like I'm going to learn power chords and that's it. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I'd actually, maybe if somebody had sat me down and taught me, I would have more of a, an active interest in it. But I think I just stalled out really early on. And actually very recently I've been trying to get a little bit better at playing guitar just because Kyle and on death is such a shredder. Like he's just watching him play just inspires me. makes me want to do something, you know, even a little similar to what he does, but vocals kind of came as a result of that i want to say because my very first band that i was in i did play guitar and i did not play guitar well uh we probably played like eight or nine shows in rochester maybe like one in in pennsylvania but 
you know, I played guitar and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just playing power chords. I was playing these, the most basic shit you could possibly imagine. And after that, I kind of realized like, okay, this is, this is not for me. And especially when we would play and I would be on stage playing and I would watch uh, Chris, the singer of that band. Uh, and I was just like, damn, like, I wish that was me. Like, I'd so much rather be doing that. Like, I don't want to be stuck behind this fucking thing. Like, I want to be out there with the people. <laughs> and that sort of moving forward from that band, I kind of realized, like, that's what I need to be doing. Well, one thing, you know, we'll, we'll start looking in and, you know, before Undeath and then we'll come to Undeath is that your vocal style and abilities has shifted and evolved as you've gone on, which is something that is quite unique. You know, a lot of vocalists that people are familiar with, if they've done several projects, their vocals tend to be the same style in all those projects. But looking at you and your vocal abilities, you've been able to shift and change gears and develop. So how did you initially come about training your voice? I mean, was it literally just winging it or were you using sources online? I mean, because you've got quite some skills there, man, like looking back at everything you've done. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate that a lot. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. I didn't start actually working on my vocals in a, a serious way, like actually treating it like an instrument until probably a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I was just ignorant to it until extremely recently, you know, back when I think about all the bands I've done vocals for and whether it was Druce or Bowmask or this band I was in Controlled by Fear before Druce, which is more of like a grindcore thing. Um, you know, it was, I, I just come from such a, like a punk and hardcore background and mindset and so many things that I was like, I don't need to to train this, you know, I'm just going to get on stage and just do what I do and I'll just scream and see how it feels. And, you know, it worked for a while, but, uh, then when I was doing Druce, which is way more screamo, like just screaming at the top of your lungs type type stuff. Like, uh, we were in the studio recording our full length and I was just shredding my voice. Mm. And, you know, we're doing that for, two weeks of just nonstop, you know, everybody's tracking. And then at night we do vocals and we did that for like 12 or 13 days. I want to say, and maybe more. And it was just agonizing toward the end of it. I remember thinking like, I, I can't keep doing this because I didn't permanently damage myself in any way. But if I persisted with that style and, and with no, real discipline with my voice i definitely could have like really fucked myself up absolutely and you know drew's kind of didn't last that much longer after that album came out but I, even with Bowmass too like i was trying a little bit harder you know i wasn't drinking and smoking in excess before i went on stage i was like trying to do vocal warm-ups i, I had some inkling that some i needed to treat this more seriously but it really wasn't until on death that I started actually treating my voice like an instrument. And it was all because everybody else in the band is, is such studious and, and disciplined musicians. You know, I, I was just so impressed by it, the quality of what they were doing and how consistently they could do it. I just knew I had to keep up. And I knew that if I didn't learn how to do death metal vocals in a, authentic way without hurting myself i was just going to hold the rest of the band back Mm. so that's kind of that was the impetus of that and then going into recording 
not the first LP, but the second one that we just finished, uh, I was, you know, I got that Zen of Screaming DVD. I was like doing singing exercises, going on YouTube, looking up breathing exercises. And that was a huge game changer. You know, I bought one of those uh, like nebulizer things mm. that you set on your desk and you lean into and it blasts hot steam in your face. Like I was using that throughout the entire recording process for this album. Like, and those are all just game changers. And now I, I treat screaming more seriously than I ever have. Well, I mean, dude, if you weren't, you know, in the place where you are with your voice now, I mean, I could only imagine the damage you would have done doing Undeath. I mean, that would have just been savage to your to your chords if you hadn't had that kind of change of gears, per se. Yeah, you know, it's all, I think, like, the cringe factor is there, too, you know, because we when we did our first, uh, was it our first? I think it was our first ever, like, out-of-state run. We did, like, five shows with Sing with Sugabog. And I thought my voice held held up fine for the most part, but there was like some video of us playing in Philly and I was watching it and I was just like, damn, I, I could do this so much better if I just like fucking tried harder. <laughs> it, it was just kind of like a, you know, whipping myself into shape kind of moment where I was like, okay, like next run, like I'm actually going to be able to perform vocals full throttle the entire time. And then we went out with them again like four months later and i had been practicing like every day leading up to it and i was just like ready you know well it's paid off man just looking at you know the recordings alone with undeath i mean it's paid off um yeah but let's well, thank you let's come back you know you mentioned a band in there that um some listeners may or may not know that you did and that's Druce, and it's stylistically wise i think you were underplaying it saying it was screamo i, I we don't like labels, but it's like post-hardcore is a simple way of putting it. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And it's quite a different thing to anyone that knows Undeath because the lyrical content is more emotive, you know. It's uh, a course, lot yeah. more personal kind of thing. So when that band came around in 2014-ish when you formed it, was it all go with that band like it was the main focus? Because you mentioned you came out of a grindcore element so you're going from savagery grindcore to post-hardcore. I mean, that's a shift in gears into itself. So, Druce, what yeah. was the expectations in the early stages? Uh, expectations were high. You know, I was that band was my life for several years. It was it was definitely a, a labor of love throughout the entire process. And you know, I, I've I think I've always had kind of a, a interest in as many styles of music as I could possibly get my hands on, you know, and I've never really liked to be the kind of person that limits myself to one thing. But even with, with Drews, it was just like, I was coming out of doing Control by Fear, which was, it wasn't like a, it, it was a serious pursuit, but I, I was really young. You know, I think I was like 16 when that band started and it was just like me and some friends from Rochester were doing stuff that was similar to the bands that we liked, like the grindcore and power violence bands, like despise you and napalm death and uh, infest and stuff. And I think, uh, and I was writing lyrics for it, but the, and I'm really trying to like phrase this in a way that doesn't sound super contrived. Like I'm not trying to undersell anything, but <laughs> it was like, I was writing all these lyrics and it's like, okay, I was, I just kept finding myself in this headspace. Like, okay, what's like a grindcore lyric? You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, I can write about uh, like war is bad mm -hmm. or I'll write about uh, like I saw this dead guy, <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> like or I can write about horror movies or whatever. And it's just 
I found myself just getting so bored with what we were doing like really fast. And that's not at all a slight against anybody else who was in that band, but just for me, my headspace at the time, I was just really looking for something different. And with Drew, so it was just like, you know, other people that I knew around Rochester wanted to do a band that initially it was going to be way more like rocking, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Coliseum, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they have a, like their albums like God Damage and stuff like that. It's it's really just kind of riffy, hardcore type stuff. And we wanted to sound like that. But then just somewhere along the way, Joe, our guitar player, just started writing these very emotive kind of affecting riffs. And it just kind of moved in that direction very naturally. And then by the time we were, we had our five songs done for our first EP, it was very much in that kind of, you know, pianos become the teeth, touche amore, wheelhouse. And we just rolled with it because it felt good. And it felt great for me to be able to write lyrics that were, were not only more personal, but had more of like a, a narrative structure to them. You know, I was actually writing about things in an abstract way while also exploring themes that were more interesting to me beyond just like, uh, you know, your basic metal themes, you know, and that was, that was cool. And I, I definitely, that band meant a lot to me for, and it still does, but it was my whole life for, God, I mean, the first demo was like 2014 and I think we did the LP in 2016 and, or maybe 2018. Yeah. 2018. I don't know. Time is just, yeah. yeah. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Time is just moving so fast, man. I can't keep up. But uh, it was huge. And there were multiple times that, like, we would have fights as a band and stuff. And we would disagree over musical things. And I would just think, like, if Drew's ends, my life is over. Like, this is the only thing that I that I look forward to doing. I, I love being in this band so much. But then, you know, the entire time I was in Drew's, I was also listening to metal. And I was getting more and more into metal. And you look at just about any picture of Drew's playing. And I'm wearing, like, a, a Revenge shirt or a Yacha shirt or some shit. And it's like... It, that was what it was pretty obvious from watching that band play that that's what I was really trying to do. And Joel, the the drummer in Drew's, I think he saw that and he invited me to go sing in Bone Mask. Um, but yeah, Joel, I mean, he he's also really into metal and uh, we both were on Drew's tours and stuff. We were just constantly bonding over like Neurosis and Isis and these kind of doomier post-metal type bands. And Eventually, he was like, hey, you know, me and some friends are getting together and we're going to start jamming on this kind of stuff. You know, would you be interested? And he sent me the like the demo files. And I said, absolutely. And, you know, we got together and it was very different than Drews because Drews was uh, a very serious pursuit. You know, everything was labored over in a very serious way. Everything was discussed. And with Bone Mask, it was the exact opposite. It was Brent or, you know, anybody would uh submit an idea or play a riff or whatever and we would just say cool sounds good and we would just roll with it and things came together much easier in that band but you know we we had a demo and we played a couple shows around it but that band was never really meant to go places or like physically go places because uh those guys were a little bit older they were all in their early mid-30s and they uh they weren't really trying to tour they weren't really trying to like put a lot of money toward anything. It was just kind of like a fun hobby, I think, for mm -hmm. for three quarter or three fifths of that band. And I wasn't offended by that by any means. I totally understood. But 
uh, I always kind of thought that we were going to do more, you know, because we had an entire album written. And then one day, uh, one of our guitar players just texted the group chat and he was like, hey, I'm not really into it anymore. Like, I'm out. And then the other guitar player was like, yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, I guess that's the end of this band, <laughs> you know, because they they wrote all the riffs and it was just going to be impossible to find anybody who was who wanted to like learn everything plus this whole album that we had just finished writing. So there is a whole written, unrecorded Bone Mask album still on the table. But uh, yeah, and then that was kind of a bummer when that happened. You know, I was definitely a little uh, disaffected by that. And Drew's... I think we had just released our album at that point and it wasn't really catching on with people. Cause it was like, it was like some heavy fucking stuff. You know, I really, yeah. Honey from the rock. <laughs> it's, it's good though. Like, I mean, the thing with Drew's that's I think a bit interesting that is, I think disappointing from an outsider looking in is those first two EPs look to have really shifted momentum for you guys. It seemed to really be groundswell going on. And then honey from the rock, I don't know what happens sometimes for listening bases, but it seemed to just kind of slip under the radar. And obviously yeah, that must absolutely. have affected you guys. And then suddenly you guys just disappeared. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it was so many things, you know, I, I, uh, I think that we were, we were having so much fun with it for so long. And I think at a point it just stopped being fun, you know? Mm-hmm. I, and I think like that happens to so many bands and for us it was like we did the first demo target weight and we started getting this little bit of buzz around rochester and then we did the way that we ache which was the the first ep or the second release and that was like we did this insane release show at the bug jar so we had this tour lined up where we were going to do a week maybe a week and a half something like that and the first day of the tour was the release show for that ep and it was to this day like one of the most insane shows I've ever played. Like it was just bananas. People were just going nuts the entire time. And I remember just thinking, like, holy fuck, this is really happening. Like people like this band. Like this is crazy. This is so gratifying. And then of course the next day, you play anywhere outside of Rochester, no one cares. Mm. And that's when the the sobering reality kind of hits you, where it's like, we might have one or two people in Philly, one person in Baltimore, one person in Richmond that like cares a little bit about Druce, but everybody who was ever vocally enthusiastic about our band pretty much was in the Rochester Buffalo area. And that just became more and more apparent every time we went on tour. It was like the second we left Western New York, it was just attendances would dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And eventually you're playing to like three, two, one person in a basement. And I think you kind of have to, have a reality check moment at that point where it's like you know do you're in the process of booking a two week long tour and it's like is this even going to be worth it because you know if you're if you're doing what you love and there's people out there who are responding to it like yeah like fuck yeah go hit the road go do it but we were just staring down the barrel playing weeks worth of shows where we knew that at a lot of these dates like maybe five people were going to come out like maybe and it sounds selfish, but we were just like, let's just, let's just focus on writing an album. You know, let's just do that instead. And then, you know, I think that the process of writing Honey from the Rock was just so intense because I was trying to fit all these deeply personal things into it. I was trying to 
explore all these really insane like narrative and connecting ideas you know i wanted it to be this concept album and you know we would have these marathon practices where we would just go for eight ten hours and just hammer away these riffs and these structures and like everybody would get their feelings hurt you know it was just like it was just the it was like boot camp in so many ways and then you know i think there's just something deflating as much as you don't want it to be you want to just say like oh fuck you i don't care if anybody likes it but mm. you spend all this money and all this time and all this emotional wherewithal releasing this album and getting it ready and then you release it and you know you maybe have a couple days of your friends reaching out to you and being like hey man like good shit listen to it and then it's just like radio silence mm -hmm. and it's like oh okay well that was the that was the product of two years of my life you know <laughs> and uh it, it, i'm not looking at it in a bitter sense at all you know i'm grateful for all those experiences but that was definitely an eye-opening moment where i was like you know damn this is like this is not fun anymore i'm just i feel like i'm just self-flagellating at this point I, i'm just going out there and i'm just destroying myself and and you know putting myself in a position where i'm being so vulnerable and i'm i'm trying so hard to create something that's authentic and, and quote-unquote real and whatever for people but people just didn't respond to it for whatever reason i think you know, that was right when we released the album, I think maybe eight months later, it was when Kyle hit me up to join on death. And I think that kind of happened at the perfect time. Yeah, I think something you said is some listeners might mind might not always hear and not always have the reality check of that. That is an unfortunate thing that you went through with Drews that a lot of bands go through, you know, and it often unfortunately affects those people to the point where they don't want to do it ever again they that's it that's absolutely that's their passion gone they're burnt out um not just with the thing of like playing to no one but also the seriousness and no longer being fun and that's important to do is the fun element because as you said two years of your time your energy and it wasn't fun. It was too serious. Um, now, yeah. when I keep saying fun, because one thing about Undeath is this is fun. Like, this is clearly, yeah, is clearly fucking fun. And I am like you. I like every style of music, right? And I'm not ashamed to. I'm not a gatekeeper of any style of music. But my thing is I love bands more that know not to take themselves seriously. You guys... right? Have fun. You don't take the fucking game seriously. So when you first get this call to kind of set up with Undeath, was it always like, we're not going to take this seriously? Or was it kind of just naturally happening that it was just a fun, enjoy it moment? I think it was just naturally happening, you know, because I think, I know in my mindset, like as, as I said, I was coming out of this Drew Selfie and just this kind of whirlwind well, it wasn't even a whirlwind. It was just like this, this trudge of like emotions and, and self-seriousness for the past year or two. And I think whether or not I realized it, I was looking for that kind of release. You know, I was looking like, I just want to do a fucking band again. You know, like, I just want to have fun with this. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing and not have everything have to be like an academic discussion about like what this means. You know, it's like, <laughs> I just want to like show up to practice and like hang out with my friends and maybe like release some music and just see what happens. And, you know, I, I was trying for a while. I mean, even while Drew's was going on, uh, I was reaching out to people just, 
as a side project kind of thing, you know, which on death was at the beginning, just seeing if people wanted to do like a death metal band or a black metal band or like a doom metal band. It was just like, I wanted to just be in a low stakes metal band. And the thing about Rochester is like, everybody who wants to be in a band is kind of already in three bands. So like people who I did hit up, who I knew would be interested were like, bro, I just don't have the time. Mm. And I totally understood, but I was just kind of like, at a standstill with with my creative process in a way because I just did not feel like writing any more Drew's lyrics. I didn't feel like going on the road with that band. Didn't even feel like really playing here because it was just like I was so emotionally sapped by everything. And then I remember one day I was doing my laundry and this kid Kyle texted me and I knew who he was. You know, I knew his other bands, but we'd never really interacted before. And I remember I posted some ISIS song on Facebook like a couple of days prior and he commented on it. He was like fucking IPA metal. <laughs> I was like, I was like, who is this kid? Like, I don't even, why is he like talking shit? Like what's up? And then he like just DM me like a couple of days later and he was like, Hey bro, like me and this kid, Matt, we're uh, starting a death metal band. Like, do you want to try out and do vocals for it? And I was like hundred thousand percent. Yes. Like I would love to do that. And you know, I, I was like, I showed up, and it was just him and Matt, you know, we were just a three piece for a long time, just guitars, drums, vocals. And uh, I was like giving them all these disclaimers right up front. I was like, I'm not a trained vocalist. I was like, I know a lot of metal people expect like, you know, flawless, brutal inhales, but I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to like do my thing. And they were like, yeah, go for it. Absolutely. And Like the vibe was just perfect from the very beginning. Like we were just hanging out, like just smoking a ton of weed, just like listening to death metal, playing death metal. It was just like, I remember just leaving that first practice and they were like, they had been showing me how to play all the songs that were on the first demo. And we're leaving it just being like, yes, <laughs> this is it. Like finally. But it was awkward because maybe it wasn't awkward for anybody else, but it was awkward for me because people in Druce were trying to like get the momentum going again. You know, I remember we were like writing a couple songs and uh, there were those conversations where I was like, oh, let's do a seven inch, let's do an EP. But it was already starting to become like a dramatic thing again. Mm. Like, oh, this member, this member's beefing with this member and like blah, blah, blah. And I was just trying to like stay involved. But at the same time, I knew I had this other thing going that I was like, this is what I want to be focusing on. And yeah, it was just like, there were never any conversations from the start where it was like, let's not take this seriously. You know, it was like, we we take on death very seriously in terms of like the music that we put out, but it's not like, you know, we're not wearing fucking cloaks on stage. <laughs> we're not like getting out there and being like, we are the most serious death metal band of all time. Like <laughs> this song about eating corpses is real. This is real life. <laughs> like, we're just like, here's some shit. We think it's cool. Like if you think it's cool, great. Mm. And I think that formula has worked pretty well so far yeah look i you know i think it's really uh, you know i laugh because look i'm not going i'm not talking down bands and fans of bands that take the style of music very seriously because there are a lot and it's every genre you know they take it very seriously it's gospel to them but you know we're talking about death metal now anyone that knows death metal it's obscene lyrics obscene imagery mm -hmm. But everyone tends to take the game stonewalled, like blank-faced, as in like, this is life and death and you must be into death metal. <laughs> and it's like, really? Like, listen to the music. It, have fun with it. Like, 
it's like one of the reasons it's a different genre, but the reason I like Every Time I Die is these guys don't take the game seriously. They take being yeah. in a band seriously, and that's what you guys do, but you got to have fun with it. And it's amazing to see a band like you guys with amazing, brutal, crushing music that is just like, yeah, our logo looks fucking weird. What are you going to do about it? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's very telling that you mentioned every time I die because like they're they're from Buffalo. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's an hour from us, and I think it's just something in the area up here. I think Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse, these like Rust Belt Western New York cities, are just so constantly shit upon by people who live downstate, like in, you know, New York city proper and everywhere else in the world, pretty much like upstate New York is just such an afterthought Mm -hmm. that I think people who make music and do creative things up here kind of are, are, they come through it or they start out already a little bit weathered, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're like, I don't give a shit. If you think this is stupid, like I'm just going to do it. And it's just, it's such a common attitude for bands up here just to have that kind of self-effacing humor about themselves. And I mean, for us, it was always like, you know, we were, I know a lot of bands practice and they're like, Oh, this is the dying fetus part. And then this will go into the morbid angel part. And this is the sick breakdown. And that's the song. But for like every undeath practice at the beginning, and even until now, like we would just play the songs and be like, yeah, that was sick. And like, Do you think Chuck Shoulder is nice? <laughs> like, we would just like, we would just have like stupid conversations like that. And I think that that whole mentality just carries into the music, you know, and I'm such a backseat, not, well, I'm such a, my hands are off the wheel with that band. You know, it, it's Kyle's baby, like throughout and Kyle and Matt are really like the driving forces with Undeath. And for me, it's literally like, Kyle will send me a riff and be like, is this sick? And 99.9% of the time, I'm just like, yeah, bro, that's sick. And it's like, <laughs> my job is basically done. Then I just show up and I record vocals when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it, man. Like, it's refreshing. Like, and don't, don't, you know, don't you guys change. You know, I mentioned one thing. I want to come into more, like, we'll go back to more early stuff with Undeath. But one thing, because I just thought of it and I mentioned it before. The, anyone that isn't on undeath's twitter needs to get on that twitter um i have never enjoyed that twitter stuff i'm old as fuck i'm in my late 30s but this whole thing with this style of music is the logo for anyone out there knows you know there's those memes with the branch twigs and it says name the band you know and you guys (laughs) have a very you know obviously death metal logo and there's been all of this fun taking out of it lately. And that's refreshing. It's it's what you need. Not put up the logo and just say, accept it. That's what it is. Read it. You've been piss taking <laughs> it with, you know, 420 things and other memes, you know, about when it looks death metal and when it doesn't look death metal. It's, I love it. Right. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that you say that because we, we, we also don't really take it that seriously, you know? And, and for me, it's like people get so mad about not being able to read logos like i'm truly astonished by it Mm. it is just vexing to me because for me i've never given a shit because i'm enough of an adult that when i see blood incantations logo i can't fucking read that (laughs) but i look at it 
and I've seen it enough times that I go, that's Blood and Patience logo. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you develop that cognitive part of your brain where you can see symbols and recognize them for what they are. It's kind of like the thing that you develop when you're five years old. But for some people, they're like, I need to be able to read this. This needs to be legible. It's like they're just giving you all these instructions about how to present your band. And it's like, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> like, also, why do you care so much? It's so weird. I also don't, these people that are, you know, in a modern technology world, right? When you see that artwork, it's going to be on a system, maybe a website, Spotify, something like this, where even if you can't read that logo, underneath it's going to be written out yeah. what it is. So don't stress. We, we've all seen metal flyers that have subtitles under the logos. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's why they're there. Yeah. I love it. Like, I mean, you know, my wife's not into metal and I was saying how yeah, I was speaking to you today and she loves, she sees it as a funny side. And she said, so who's the band? And I said, it's undeath. And she goes, Oh, okay. And I went, showed her the artwork for the album. And she went, Oh, that no, no. She goes, just no. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? No. She goes, no, you can't tell me that says undeath. I was like, yeah. And then I showed her the Twitter and she was in hysterics and she's like, I like this band. I don't like their music, but I like this band. So I was like, okay. Uh, I'll take that. That's a small victory. I'll accept that. Now, one thing I find interesting is, you know, we're talking about how Druce earlier was very emotive, personal, kind of very, I don't want to say overthought because I don't want to underplay it, but you know what I'm saying, you know, very lot of time taxing energy put into the lyrics. And with Undeath. Yes, yes. And Undeath, you know, and I don't want to downplay it, but it's, it's old school death metal doesn't muck around. It's gore lyrics. So, mm. what's the approach like for you going from such dramatic ends of the spectrum? Well, here's the here's the fun part. Um, I don't write the lyrics in on death. Really? And I'm sick. Yeah, I when I said that I take a hands off the wheel approach to that band, I really mean it. I just I, I'm there to execute what I need to do, and then I'll let Kyle and Matt ha- handle everything else. And, you know, it was like there was no part of me at the very beginning of this band that took offense to that because Kyle already had lyrics for these songs that were going to be on the first demo. And he gave them to me. And there was I truly mean this. There was never an instance where I was like, I'm the singer. I write the lyrics. Like, what are you talking about? The, the closest thing I can think of would be there was like one part in, I think it was Unadorned Coffin that needed like four lines of lyrics. And I was like, do you want me to take a crack at it? And he was like, sure. And I just wrote like four things and that was it. And I think that's like the only lyrical contribution I've ever made to Undeath besides like, you should say fuck here. Like it would be cool <laughs> if you like swore in this part. But like Kyle is just such a, he's such a completionist with like the shit that he does. You know, when, when he writes a song, it's not like he's going to take a collection of riffs and then you know, tell, ask everybody else what they want to do. It's really just him and Matt or like the co-conspirators and Kyle will have the vast majority of a song, like probably 80 or 90% of it done. And then he'll take it to Matt and they'll just finish it up together. And that's the song. And the thing about Kyle too, is that he has such a, you know, song or he just knows how he wants the vocals to be. And he knows what he wants the vocal patterns to be in such a way that he's got to write the lyrics and I totally 1000% understand that because if I had these riffs that I was cooking up that had these really specific hooky patterns in them 
I would want to be the one that dictates what's going on top of that. Because if you hand that over to somebody like me, who didn't go to school for music, who, as I've said before in this podcast, has no musical expertise, I'm just going to say whatever over the top of them. And it's not going to sound as cool. But if you have somebody like him, who has this laser precision of how he wants everything to go, it's just going to make for a better song. So it's just a matter of like, you know, sacrificing your ego and, and just accept, not even accepting, but just knowing like, hey, this shit's going to be better if you just leave it up to the people who know what they're doing, really. I've been more than happy with that arrangement. Well, you wouldn't know. You know, that's the thing. You, you're able to put aside any egotistical thoughts and still perform it and do it justice. When you right. record the music... Is there any feel of pressure to make sure you deliver? Because it's quite a different bit of pressure because you're, as you say, not it's not your creation and you're trying to make sure you hit the marks of that creation. Mm-hmm. So is there any internal pressure? Because they, they would not give you a hard time. They seem like nice, relaxed, you know, dudes. So what about yourself? How do you feel when you're doing the recording? Yeah, I'd say there's a ton of internal pressure, you know, not in a not in a Drews type way where it was just like ruining the experience of the music for me. It was just I just put pressure on myself because I want to deliver the best performance possible. You know, I want to I want to do justice to these songs. And what I've really enjoyed about kind of the undeath trajectory, so to speak, so far is that, you know, I've never done growled vocals really in a band before this. So with the first demo, I was kind of winging it. And then with Sentient, it was like, I knew a little bit more of what I was doing. And then by the time we hit the LP, I was like ready to execute. And when we finished Lesions, I was listening to it. And off the bat, I was just like, when we record the second album, I'm going to try to mix in some like higher pitch stuff. Like that's going to be the next rung in the ladder, you know? And then we did that and we finished recording the second LP. And, you know, I'm not doing like dual vocal, low growl, high screeching, like type shit. There's, There's just like, occasional accent moments really where there's some high stuff in the background but like that for me was just like okay great that's another that's another way that I can improve my performance going forward and you know I'm just constantly looking for stuff to to work on and to better on at this point and better myself on rather and there is pressure but none of it is outside you know Kyle is never coming to me and saying like no do that again you know Uh, it's it's always me in the studio who's pressuring myself to do like a million takes of one thing or to, you know, adjust the way that I'm delivering a certain syllable. Like, I'm, I'm definitely pretty retentive when it comes to how I like to record vocals. I'm very detail-oriented at this point, but it's all self-inflicted. But none of it feels bad. I just feel like it, it feels fun to work this hard on something, you know? Now, an interesting thing, you know, you mentioned in there, you know, a lot of people will know of the band because of the full length through prosthetics, which is lesions of a different kind. But there was the demo and the split, and there was also Sentient. And it was interesting in the trajectory of the band that Sentient really kind of, it, from an outsider looking in, it kind of groundswelled out of nowhere. It was like, bang, everyone that was into this kind of music was into this this release. What was that like for you guys also? Because listeners maybe don't understand this. You guys actually haven't played many live fucking shows. So this, you really haven't. it's amazing, dude. I love this kind of story. So 
what was it like when Sentient come out and everyone's like, check out Undeath, check out Undeath? Oh man, it was crazy. It, it was just, it was madness. Like I, I, that whole year of like the, it was 2019, which was like mm. a, a insane year because we did the first demo. And like I said, at that point, it, it was just like a Drew Psy project for me, really. I, and I think for Kyle too, I think he, cause he was in some bands before and I think he was kind of feeling a little disaffected with music and performance and, we were just going to link up and do a demo and just see what happened. You know, it was, it was not that serious. And then the demo came out and it was just all these little things were happening. Like we, we put up like 30 shirts for sale and we sold out of them in like half an hour. And like, then I was like, okay, like we got people hitting us up in like Massachusetts and Toronto, like trying to book us, you know, this is weird. This person put our demo up on YouTube and they look, there's like 70 comments on it. And you know, 60 of them are really positive. <laughs> like, it was just stuff like that. Like things were already kind of happening. And, you know, I wasn't thinking, I was trying not to think that too much of it because I didn't want to psych myself out. But then, you know, we were, re we recorded Sentient Autolysis right after we released the, the first demo. And that was out by June or July, I want to say. And I remember just thinking like, fuck, I really hope people like this as much as they like the demo. And there was just no possible way I could have anticipated the response that it got. You know, it was just... It was mind boggling. It was just all these people that, because I, I just come from, I came from a position where I wasn't really used to people that weren't my personal friends that I see all the time liking my bands. And now all of a sudden I've got people in Germany and Indonesia asking me if I'll like send them tapes. And, you know, it was just like, so damn, these people like really like this? Like, that's <laughs> not that I was surprised because I was proud of it, but I was just like, this is crazy. And then I remember being so starstruck too because we, it was like the third show that we played because I think off demo not we played like two shows and then we were about to release sentient autolysis when we went down and played Brooklyn and Trevor from black Dahlia murder uh just like came out to the show and I was just like completely starstruck I was like this dude is in a massive band and he's coming out and supporting my band that this is literally our third show and we have 11 minutes of recorded music out. <laughs> and he was just super enthusiastic. And he like bought a shirt and a tape and he just hung out the entire time. And that's how we like connected with him to eventually have him on Legion Slater. And from then on, like we dropped Sentient and I think like Anthony Fantano reviewed and he didn't review it, but he like put it in a list of things and that got us a ton of traction. And then like Prosthetic hit us up and it was just, it was just this whirlwind of things. It was like, every week i feel like a new thing was happening that i could have never anticipated it was crazy online it was just crazy well one thing you know um i've i know that feeling with trevor i've been very blessed to have him on the show and he is someone that i think in this realm of music is very important because he supports the scene in general he backs bands he lets the world know about bands like yourselves and it just shows that he cares about paying it back to to the music, and he's even, I'm sure he was responsible. He's got you on their tour that's going to happen. I mean, that's yeah. Cool. Like, guys, for you guys haven't played many fucking shows. There you fucking go. Here's your fucking platform with Black Dahlia Murder. Like, insane. Yeah, I, it's insane, dude. I mean, I, I'm I'm so like grateful doesn't even describe it. Mm. I'm just uh, I'm just floored that that we could even be a part of that. I know it was a, 
a confluence of a couple different things that that got us to be on there you know i know like you said trevor obviously is a friend of ours and he's been be like just a day one supporter of us and uh ej who owns prosthetic is also the black dolly murders manager so like i'm sure that probably had something to do with it i'm just speculating at this point but like yeah i mean that's that's including off day shows gonna be like 30 something shows uh and as of now as a band i think we've played 11 mm. <laughs> so like we're about to play three times as many shows as we've ever played <laughs> like back it. to back it's it's gonna be nuts but yeah that that tour is gonna be insane i can't wait for it now one thing you mentioned in there a couple of times which is prosthetic records and big shout out to them because they have also been responsible with helping giving you a platform how did that for a band that's only done like a demo and all of this kind of stuff how did you suddenly get into talks with prosthetic well uh steve joe who's there uh i don't know what his official title is but he's just kind of like the u.s label point guy over there he uh i know he does a lot of like AR, A&R type stuff, like reaching out to bands and signing bands and stuff, but he's just like an all-around stand-up, excellent guy. And he works super fucking hard for bands and he's always just trying to hook bands up and he he reached out to us, you know, he, uh, it was from the Prosthetic Instagram account, I think they just DM'd us, and it was Steve, and he just said, hey, you know, I really like Sentine Natalysis. Are you guys working on a full length? Like, do you have plans for it? Like, what's up? Like, let's talk. And, you know, we talked about it and we were like, yeah, let's just go for it. You know, we're, we weren't and still aren't really a band that not overthinks, but like rings every sense of po- every little like droplet of possibility out of something. Like, we were just like, we were like, yeah, this is a fucking sick opportunity. Like, a label is hitting us up and offering to release albums for us and this is a label that has signed lots of bands that all of us have liked in the past and has bands on the roster that we you know still fuck with like we would kind of be stupid to say no to that and i'm i'm glad that we that we said yes because it's been enormous for us steve and and becky and ej like everybody over there has just really hooked us up and, and guided us in ways that i know we would never would have been able to do ourselves and I think we're really we're really kind of blessed to have that because especially Steve, I mean, he he put us in touch with Colin, who's the guy that's uh, that's managing us right now, and that's been like a huge step forward for us just having that having him on our team and Steve, uh, he's just like really he looks out for us in a way that's that's very uh, it means a lot to me. So I'm just super grateful for everything that that label and the people that work for it have done for us. And it's a like you said, it's an fucking sick label you know it, it the amount of bands they've had do have and it's a great platform for you guys to be on and you've got to feel like you're pinching yourself sometimes but then i mean this leads me into my next kind of question part of the band is you got to be pinching yourselves that a you're on prosthetic and then you're getting all this momentum with sentient and then you release lesions of a different kind when a pandemic's going on you can't perform and this album Ladies and gentlemen, when I say blows up, I'm, you know, I'm probably underplaying and not really selling it properly. Fucking blows up. Like, Jesus, boy. Like, this album is fucking everywhere and it deserves to be. That's the first thing that needs to be said. But, wow, dude, wow. Like, amazing. 
Like, so yeah. thank you, man. I appreciate it a lot. Fuck. Um, so talk, talk me through this process of, you know, there's all this shit going on in the world and you guys think, well, you know, it'd be great right now. Let's fucking release just some old style death metal and let's hope, <laughs> let's hope it goes down well. And it fucking does go down well. So, you know, talk us through that. I'd like to say it was a, a very calculated experience, but I mean, like everything with Undeath, we just kind of <laughs> shot from the hip, you know, <laughs> like we, uh, we, uh, we had the album written, you know, and I think it, well, that's not necessarily true. We had like 60% of it written and then prosthetic hit us up, you know, we signed the contract and they were like, all right, sick. Do you think you can have this turned in by, I think it was like March. And at the time it was December hmm. and the album wasn't written. Well, it was, it was over halfway written. I think we were missing like three songs and we were just like, okay, like crunch time, let's get the shit finished. And you know, Kyle, like shout out to him. He just put his nose to the fucking grindstone and just cranked out those last remaining songs as fast as he possibly could. Not that he didn't think about it, but he was like, you know, the, the clock was ticking. And then we got in the studio, we recorded, uh, they recorded everything down at Headroom in Philly, which is where we just recorded the second album. They, I still don't really know how they accomplished this, but they recorded all 10 songs in like three days. Um, and then I couldn't make it down there because I was working at a, a job that I'm no longer at, but I was working at, for a law firm doing like secretarial stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just recorded all the vocals in my house. Once they were back, Kyle recorded me himself. And then we sent all the stuff back to the mastering people and, you know, bada bang, bada boom, the album was done. And somehow we got it turned in by the due date. Matt finished up the art. And then it was time to start thinking about, okay, we got a tour, you know? So we really wanted to go out with this band Phobophilic from North Dakota. And we were just huge fans of them. And they fought with us and, we were just talking a little bit and we were going to do like, I think it was going to be a full US. Um, we were going to go out with them and we were going to go out and play uh, Bay Area Death Fest. And we just had all of these shows lined up. You know, we were going to be gone for probably longer than we are on the Stalia tour. And, you know, then obviously coronavirus happens and, you know, we're talking to the people that are booking the tour and we're just like, okay, like, how's it looking? And the guy's coming back to us and saying, oh, yeah, like, half the shows are canceled, but I think you guys will still be able to, you know, get a week of touring in there. And we're like, okay, cool. Well, that's fine. And then, you know, I'm looking at the news every day, and it's like the death toll is rising, and I'm like, I don't think these shows are happening. <laughs> and then one day he just emails us, and the booking guy, and he was like, yeah, this tour's canceled. Like, no, t- no tours are happening probably ever again. <laughs> I was like, oh, sick. You know? Great. <laughs> Whatever. But, uh, you know, there was never a we never really had like a what was me conversation about it. You know, we were never like, fuck, we can't tour around this album. Let's just not release it. You know, I know a lot of bands did that, but we were just like, we've got the shit ready to go. We probably had one conversation with Prosthetic where we were like, should we release this this year? And they said, absolutely. And we just went ahead and did it. And, you know, I think that considering the fact that we couldn't play a single show around it, it went spectacularly, (laughs) like just the response to it, you know, I'm just, I'm so uh, floored by how people reacted to it, especially because we couldn't play it. Well, I think, you know, an interesting thing that you mentioned is some, a lot of bands had music ready and decided to not release it because you understand why, because they want to tour behind the release. But I think it's interesting and great that you guys did because 
everyone's at home, everyone's consuming music, everyone has to consume music or, you know, it doesn't have to, but you know what I mean. And you've mm-hmm. got this time where the market isn't saturated. Not everyone's releasing music. Get the music out. Problem bands right, now. Exactly. Problem bands now are having. Everyone is releasing albums at the same time, so a lot of albums are going to get left in the mix. But you guys have timed it. Got that album out. Everyone knows you now. So when you do drop the second album, everyone's going to notice it. It's fucking perfect. Perfect. Fucking. Perfect. Yeah. Like. I think I think maybe subconsciously we we probably realized that last year that that nobody else is going to be releasing anything, but you know the the halflings leaf has slowed our minds a little bit, and I think we just kind of like yeah okay whatever we'll put it out we'll see what happens, and I'd like to say it was a big calculated move on our parts, but we just kind of did it because we felt like it. I'm glad you did, man, because it was meant to be. It was meant to be released, and like we were saying, the reaction is fucking lovely like that's a polite way of putting it like great everyone within the industry critics etc etc and it it's just put a buzz behind you guys that you know for someone like yourself that's had all of the this kind of pain and disappointment and seriousness in the past it's got to feel great that what you're doing now you're having fun with and it's actually kind of working like absolutely yeah i mean you 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 phrase it excellently you know but at the same time it's like i just constantly find myself at this this weird crossroads with how i want to be feeling because for one part of me i'm like i want to just live in the moment you know Mm -hmm. i want to just enjoy everything on a second by second basis and just appreciate everything that's happening to me which i do you know I, i try to be i try to practice mindfulness <laughs> you know, I, try to, I try to be like zen about everything as much as I can like you know I, I I spent 10 years of my life really like just trying to get to anywhere close to where I am right now with death and the fact that things are kind of uh paying off in a sense and and people actually are responding to something that I'm doing in such a truly overwhelmingly like in the true sense of the word overwhelmingly positive way uh I, I am I just I'm amazed by that. And I'm I'm so so incredibly grateful for every opportunity that we've gotten and everybody who is so kind and receptive and positive toward us. But I'm also like when I'm not feeling that way, I'm just constantly being pulled toward, okay, like what's next? What's next? You know? Because you never know how long something is gonna last. And it's not like I'm expecting undeath to just flame out, like far from it. I know that with our combined work ethic and the the plans that we have for the band in the future i know we're going to be around for a while but that that nagging suspicion is always in the back of your mind like okay like you got to move on to the next thing you know that's why we're putting out albums so fast that's why we're that's why we're trying to tour as much as possible because you know like i don't want to think i don't want to put this out in the universe but like there could be coronavirus too Mm, (laughs) you know mm, mm, or mm. uh or just some insurmountable tragedy could strike and then all of a sudden like it's over or even that it's just like you know it's just there's so many unspeakable things that could happen and you just i always find myself just wanting to capitalize on the time that i have just do as much as i can while i've kind of got the fire you know but that there's a balancing act to be had between looking toward the future and trying to be proactive and also living in in the present in the moment and I think that's kind of where I'm at right now, trying to learn how to manage both those feelings. But all that being said, yeah, it is insanely gratifying 
to for all this stuff to be happening you know i'm 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 truly i just feel so so great about everything and i'm just trying to to hold on to that feeling yeah you know you're doing something that you basically the phrase i thought as soon as you started was saying that was strike while the iron's hot and i think that's something that a lot of listeners can acknowledge and recognize and it's the way to be man you know like you said you don't know what's next but you know, not a lot of bands do. They get those this momentum behind that first album and then there's nothing for three years kind of thing, no more music. And you've mentioned there yeah. a few times and I know um, it's been mentioned on your Twitter that you you guys have already bloody recorded album number two. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that is striking while the iron's hot and that's commendable, man, because a lot of other bands would just say, you know, one album, let's ride this out. Um, so with talk of second album... How far into it are you? Is it getting mixed and mastered already? Like you guys clearly don't fucking sleep over there. So what, what do you? What's up with album number two? It's mixed and mastered. It's it's done. I mean, like the the audio portion of it is done. It's ready to go. I mean, we're we're finishing up some artwork things. The art the art itself is done. Uh, there's like the insert still being worked on at this point in time. Um, you know, but the I I got mailed the test presses today. Like but it's, it's ready. Far. It's wow. ready. But okay. as you alluded to earlier, like every band in the universe is trying to put out an album this year because nobody did last year. And that kind of put us in a hard position because, you know, we, we're probably not going to have it out this year mm-hmm. just because we'd like to have records alongside it. And pretty much the only feasible way that we could do that would be if we just did like only black vinyl or something. And you know, I, personally, like, I don't give a shit. I'm fine with that. But I know for a lot of people, like, the the crazy vinyl variants are a huge selling point. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely understand that. You know, you want you want something nice to look at while you're spinning it. I get it. But, you know, we, we had some conversations with Prosthetic and the pressing plant. And we just kind of decided, like, rather than rush everything as fast as possible just to get it out, to say that we got it out there really isn't that much of a difference between releasing it in November and releasing it in like spring 2022, Hmm. which is kind of what we're looking at right now. And hopefully, you know, I I don't know, I don't know what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but maybe we can like announce the album at some point this year and release it next year. I really don't know, but as far as the album being done, yeah, it's, it's basically done. Yeah, and you you make a good point. You know, there is no big difference, especially considering we're already halfway through the year. You know, we're we're nearly into Mm -hmm. the month number seven of 12. So, you know, there is still, you know, not a massive leap to go till it comes out. But I know people like myself and your fans are going to be fucking exciting. And it's just exciting to hear that it's at that point where, you know, it's almost complete. Like, you know, when you release it is up to you. You make your time, but... I'm fucking excited. Um, I'm also excited. Thanks, I'm also excited to hopefully read the next song titles. Um, like I had to write this one down because it's probably my favorite. Chained to a reeking rotten body. I can't wait to see what the next uh, titles of the songs are. But I mean, if we're going off that, I think we're in good shape. Um, I think I don't think there's anything that crazy on this one, but there there are one or two that are outlandish. For lovely. Sure. That's what we want. That's what we need, man. That's what we need. I'm also excited because um, hopefully the uh, pre-orders when you do merch ideas will have another silly things. Well, not silly, um, like beach towels. You know, not a lot of death metal bands release beach towels, but 
on deck have yeah, beach well, we, we're having those conversations right now you know i think we, we got a talk coming up later this week where we're going to really hash some of that stuff out but yeah i mean i'm always you can print black t-shirts until the cows come home you know it doesn't matter like like that's that's always going to be around and i'll keep buying them but at the same time it's like when bands do ridiculous shit like that, like when Frozen Soul did like a cooler, mm, like mm-hmm. I, I'm all about that. You know, I, I love seeing stuff like that. I love seeing stuff like grinders and papers and stuff. Like I love when bands do, I think who, I think it was Soft Kill. They just did like chewing gum. Like wow. I just think, like, I just love like those, those kiss levels of marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you reach that level of merchandising, I think that's so, that's so great and hilarious. And I think we're definitely going to try to pull at some of those strings a little bit. I love it also because it just shows that you guys are taking time into thinking about the merch. Like you said, it's just not another T-shirt or another Moss shorts or another hoodie. Not there's anything wrong with it because I've got lots of it. Um, I'm, yeah. I was looking this morning and um, uh, being Australian, we don't get access to a lot of that stuff. So, But i I'm definitely got to cop myself that red plain logo print just for the fact that it says Crushing Death Metal. So that's going to be... And anyone listening, Hell if, yeah. if you're wondering, make sure you go onto Undeath's web, web store and get some fucking merch. They've got vinyl, all that jazz. Make sure you cop the boys some merch. Give them a couple of dollars so they can buy another piece of bud for their bong, you know. Just keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. um, Cheers, man. Now, dude, we are almost done, but we are finishing in a bit of a silly way. You, know, you seem like Let's someone... You take yourself very seriously, so I don't know how we're going to go with this, so we'll, we'll try. We'll try, okay? I'm a silly guy. I can be silly. <laughs> I've been known to be silly. <laughs> now, this is... Um, we've had 100 and... You're a guest 168, and 167 guests have all had this. Now, this mm. is called Pick Your Poison. What happens here is I give you an option of two. You pick your favourite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer. But if you feel the answer needs justification, the floor is yours. Understood. Okay. Are you going a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay. Ribs or brisket? Brisket. Chicken or beef? Chicken. Risotto or pasta? Pasta. Okay. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian. I had Indian last night. Ooh. Uh, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I'm not really a peanut butter guy. Ooh, can't, okay. can't say, yeah, you know, I'll eat it if if it's around, but I, I never gravitate toward it. But with that being said, I'll probably go chunky. Really? You're going to abuse a piece of bread like that? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, I'm a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, soft taco or crunchy taco? Soft. Okay. Taco or nacho? Um, that's a good one too. Uh, I think I'll go nacho. I'll go nacho for that one. Okay, Mars bar or Snickers? Oh, uh, I do love them both. Um, I'll go Snickers. Okay, Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> Again, I, I hate to disappoint. I'm not really much of a soda drinker. I, uh, uh, man, I, I guess I guess Coke. You know, it's been a while since I've had either, but I'll, I'll go co. Okay. What about coffee or tea? Oh, we'll see. Both have, uh, both have so such unique applications, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I never want to wind down with a cup of coffee, but sometimes that's also nice. Um, 
you know in the grand scheme of things i gotta go tea oh okay okay yeah i love tea love all sorts of tea i probably drink like two cups of tea every day of my life so i'm gonna go tea what about a beer or a whiskey oh that one's really hard um again you know you're talking different applications it's Mm -hmm. but i I won't split hairs I, i know the game is what it is uh i'll go beer i'll go beer okay um you gonna have a joint with me or a hit from the bong i'm a joint guy 100 okay um you're gonna have your last ever meal are you gonna have it at home or dined out at a restaurant i'll have it at home okay um new movie's gonna come out you're gonna go to the cinema or you're gonna watch it at the couch at home uh at home you're probably sensing a theme here. I don't really like being around that many people. Hey, I have to. <laughs> don't worry. Your answers are good to me. Uh, they make plenty of sense. Cat or dog? Cat. Okay. Um, spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? See, like living in Rochester, you don't really have a choice because you're going to spend six months out of the year in the snow regardless. But so for that, I would say the beach because you really have to cherish that beach time. Nice answer. Um, okay. Some movie ones. Terminator mm. franchise or Predator franchise? Oh, Terminator, 100%. Dude, Predator 2 is terrible. Oh, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I rewatched <laughs> it recently and I was like, no, this is just pain. pain. It's horrible, dude. It's irredeemable. Oh. Terminator, I mean, oh my God. Like, one and two are just classics, undeniable. Both franchises have their problems. The longer they've gone on, both franchises have really made some big fuck ups, to say the least. Yeah. Absolutely, but the strength of Judgment Day alone, like that, that's why you got to pick Terminator. Good answer. Um, Rambo or Rocky? Not really crazy about either. I mean, I like uh, I like Rocky, and I like Rocky Four. Um, Rambo, I think I saw like one time, barely really remember it. Uh, was never really a huge Stallone guy, but that being said, I would probably go Rocky. Okay. Um, just don't watch the latest Rambo if you do decide to, because um, it was the weirdest. It was Rambo, but as if it was taken. Um, it was <laughs> strange. Like I don't. Stallone needs to learn when to kill franchises. That's his biggest problem, I think. Um, Agreed. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Uh, um, that was surprisingly tough. Uh. I think I'll go James Bond just because I'm more familiar with that franchise. I've seen, I think, most of the Bourne movies, but clearly they didn't really make a huge impression on me. I mean, I remember enjoying them, but I mean, James Bond, Goldeneye, Goldfinger, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all that shit. It's great. So I'll probably go James Bond. Yeah. And Daniel Craig, if you ever do listen to this, you're dreamy. Like, that's just my, that's my <laughs> He shame. is. That's a handsome man. That's a handsome man. Um, Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween? Halloween. That was easy for you. What about uh, Freddy or Jason? Uh, See, this one's way harder. Um, Let's see. I think I'm going to go Jason Mm -hmm. just because I love those later Friday the 13th movies like... uh, (laughs) <laughs> like where Jason goes to hell mm-hmm. and uh, Jason takes Manhattan, you know, like all that shit is just hilarious. So those are just 
those are so good bad movies and i think off the strength of those i'll, I'll go jason but i do i mean i love friday or the nightmare on all three movies i just watched a bunch of those last halloween those are great too no disrespect to freddie but gotta go jason uh what about saw or hostile i'll go saw because i don't really think hostile is a great movie I don't really think any of the hostels are great movies. I think for the kind of reputation that they've developed since they released where people were like, oh, Saw is just torture porn. You know, maybe later on in the franchise, it kind of became that. They started like losing the plot a little bit. But Saw 1 is legitimately a fantastic movie. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that stands on its own. It's just like not even a great horror movie, but just a great movie. So I'll go Saw. Yeah, I still remember seeing the first one at the cinema. Uh, Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit I mean, of a that twist is that twist is like one of the best twists ever. Mm. Yeah, anyone listening, like if, if you want to do a little bit of homework, um, go go back, have a watch. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, a couple more mu- uh, movie ones before we get into the music ones. Uh, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones? Oh, Lord of the Rings, no question. Really, love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm a massive fan. Okay, I like that. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek, probably. Okay. South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons, absolutely. Anchorman or Step Brothers? Step Brothers. Okay. Slayer or Pantera? <laughs> uh, uh, I think the other guys in Undeath will be mad at me for saying Slayer, but I gotta go Slayer over Pantera. They Pantera is like a classic Undeath band band, <laughs> like. It's just that's like everybody's opportunity to just go nuts. But I mean, Slayer's fucking Slayer, man. I mean, they they have some of the greatest albums in the history of metal. You can't can't take that from them. You also, it's one of the guaranteed things you'll hear drunk metalheads scream out. You know, Slayer. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear them yell absolutely. out. You don't. They don't yell out any other band. That's kind of a thing. It's true. Um, Something can- to be said there. Now this one might be probably the most difficult one: Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder. <laughs> Why do you got to put me in this position? <laughs> got to do it. Everyone's had it. Everyone's had it. So. Uh, I mean, it's got to be Campbell Corpse. Uh, I absolutely no disrespect intended, of course, but like, it's fucking Campbell Corpse. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're for my money the best death metal band that's ever that's ever been. Uh, Corpse Grinders, the best death metal vocalist that's ever been. Alice Webster is probably the best songwriter in all of death metal. Um, yeah, I mean, just a legacy of incredible albums. Never released a bad one. Even the one, the only one for me that stands out is like a little, like iffy is Gallery of Suicide. But I'll give it, you that. It only yeah. stands. Yeah, it only stands stands out to me as weird because the production is so bizarre on that one. Yeah, but uh, like everything they ever, I look forward to everything they do. Every time I've seen them, they've been fantastic. Black Dahlia, you know, incredible band. Uh, they've been also been around for for years and years at this point. Fucking Nocturnal, Deflorate, you know, Miasma, mm. amazing albums. But for me, it's like if it's something I'm going to go back and never get tired of listening to, and can listen to for hours and hours on end. It's Cannibal Course. Nice. Um, dying fetus or death? Uh, probably death. I'll go death. I mean, I love fetus, but. Death is just such a monumentally important band. It's got to be Death. Uh, Demu or Behemoth? Uh, I'm not really crazy about either, to be honest with you. Um, 
I think I had more of a Demi Borgir phase growing up than I did a Behemoth phase. Um, but yeah, neither neither band really ever clicked with me that much. I've never really been into that kind of. I mean, I know Behemoth had some more like raw shit early on, but I've never really been into like the epic orchestral kind of black metal, you know. But which, if that's your cup of tea, that's great. I'm not going to take that from anybody, but. It's never really been my thing, but if I got to pick one, I'll probably go Demo. Yeah, look, you you pretty much answered answered that the way I'd answer it. You know, everyone's got their own you know cup of tea kind of thing. Um, but you know, not my thing. But if I had to pick, it would be Demo as well. Um, yeah. Okay. This one I just thought on the fly because normally, you know, it's been going for nearly four years. They're all written out. You know, scratchy pants. <laughs> um, but. Cannibal Corpse or Six Feet Under? It's Cannibal Corpse, no question. Oh, I was just thinking, like, because we were talking about Cannibal Corpse, um, and we're talking about Corpse Grinder, and have you heard that latest Six Feet Under album? Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Mm. Yeah, can I get that time back? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, it's like, I, I'm just not a fan of Six Feet Under in general. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, I. I even like the the shit that people ride for like haunted or whatever you know I've tried mm. I've tried mm. really hard to to give it an honest listen and you know it just it does nothing for me I just it's not really my style of death metal I, I like stuff that's a little bit faster but um Chris Barnes I mean he's a fucking legend you know I know everybody likes to everybody likes to take their paw shots of him these days and it's that's fine I mean he kind of opens himself up to it but like I can never really clown on the guy because Tomb of the Mutilated, Bleeding, Eating yeah. Back to Life, Butcher the Birth. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the thing for me that really stands out about this latest album is, look, put aside everything that he does lately or has been doing and his, you know, call-outs or whatever you want to say. The thing for me is, as you know, to someone who's signed to a label and has management and representatives and all of this, when that album was made, and it got thrown across someone's desk, did anyone actually fucking listen to it? Because it was on your desk to listen to, and there needed to be someone that would have said, can we maybe um, kind of get some re-recordings done here? But no, no, they didn't listen to it. They got it across the desk, and they went, yeah, that's fine. Fucking put it in. Yeah. Like, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I can't, I won't front. I mean, that album is awful. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's seriously terrible. But oh. at the same time, it's like, I'm not really, I'm in the camp that I just listened to it one time and I was like, damn, that really sucked. I'm going to pretend that this never happened. <laughs> I'm just going to carry on. I've got a mate who is like a Barnes fucking obsession man and he just is constantly sharing it on Facebook, just songs from it. It's like, I, I, I think i got to unfriend you, man. I, I think we've reached that point. Enough's enough. I have yet to meet somebody who is like a fan of that album. I know Kyle, uh, and that Pete, there's one song on it that he's like, we were at a bar one time and he was trying to convince me like, no, this song is sick. Like, listen to this. <laughs> and I forget which one it was, but I was like, dude, I respect the fact that you have this opinion. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, mm-hmm. that's a bold claim to make, but there's no way I'm going to listen to this in my free time. <laughs> right. We've got a couple left. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Absolutely. Sorry, Dave Mustaine. That's 168 people have not picked Megadeth. 
I'm sorry. Is it really? Uh, we've actually only one has picked Megadeth. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I jokingly say because a lot of people love this part of the show. It's probably the highlight. They didn't care that we talked for you know an hour and something. They just forwarded to this right. part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, every 168 guests have had that, and one has picked Dave. And one day, I'm going to send all the snippets in one file to Dave, and just hope he responds. And I, that might get him on the show, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he found Jesus recently, dude. He might just forgive you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there, was, there was the shock for me. They found Lord. Okay. Well, fuck. I can't sleep tonight. That's going to give me nightmares. Just wait. Yeah, till, he's a God guy now. Just wait until he releases a gospel album next. Oh. I'll, it'll probably be better than the new Six Feet Under album. Ooh, shots fired, but well said. Um, <laughs> um, right, okay, last few. Shows are back. There's no limitations. There's no barriers. Would you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? It's a bit of a strange one, but, you know, we'll roll with There's it. There's no way to pick both. Can't say both. You can say both. This is a both one. Yep. I'll say both. Yeah, I'll go both. Okay. You're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch from the pit or by the sound desk? I'm I'm a I'm a stand in the side or the back kind of guy, you know. I'll, I'll get in the pit if the, if the spirit moves me, but uh, for the most part, I like to just kind of stand and watch. Yeah, I'm I'm too old to be near a pit nowadays. Um, yeah. Okay, this one, second last one. They need to go hand in hand to exist, but let's imagine they exist in their own right, separate from each other. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? I would rather tour. Because um, I like releasing music, but recording is just, it's, that's like, it's just, touring is just such a unique beast, you know, you're just having so much fun and, and yeah, it can be grueling from time to time, you know, when you got some brutal drives and you have to immediately go and load in and keep driving after the show, like, it can be work for sure, but Recording is just always way more intense, you know, mm-hmm. not that, you know, undeath goes into the studio and we're just all miserable the entire time, but it's just like that you're, you're doing your job, you know, you're, you're laying stuff down that people are going to be listening to over and over. You have to be dialed in, but with touring, yeah, you go on stage and you try the best you can, but the other, you know, 23 hours of the day are going to be, uh, you're, you're just, it's a lot looser. So I would have to say touring. Now, last one is the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album, and the way I give it to you is the way you have to consume it for the rest of your life. So you need to pick wisely here. <laughs> uh, would you like that album on CD, on vinyl, or on your phone? Well, I mean, look, like I could be a purist and I could say vinyl, but then I have to be sitting in front of my stereo whenever I want to listen to it. I could say CD, but then I have to have a CD Walkman or a car that has a CD port in it, a CD drive for me to be able to listen to it. Or I can have it on my phone, in which case I can listen to it feasibly or theoretically whenever I want. So although the quality is definitely going to suffer, I would have to go phone because I'd like to be able to listen to my favorite album at any point that I choose. Yeah, well answered, man. Like, I mean, 
I got a new car not long ago, as in like it's a 2018 car. doesn't have a CD player in it. So my 3,000 yeah. CDs I've got, I can never play in the car. I'd never take my vinyl player with me and who's to say I'm going to have power. But when I take my phone, I have access. So yeah. I, I love collecting though. So I still buy CDs and vinyls. But, you know, it's nothing quite, you know, being an old guy, I remember when I didn't have access to having everything on one device. So I love it. It's quite amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah, I completely agree. First thing I got to say, Alex, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you not only putting aside your time, but giving me your energy. Um, it's quite a thing when you dial in to chat with someone, and they're they're really fun to chat to, and that's been you easily. Um, it's meant a lot to me as a fan. I thank you very much, man. I mean, I, I had a great time doing this, and you oh. know, this was I gotta say, like, not just blowing smoke. This was definitely one of the best interviews i've ever done oh, I appreciate because you, you took you took the time and you went back and, and did your research and that means a lot to me you know so so thank you for doing what you do oh dude it's um you know getting i don't have anyone on the show that i don't like the music so i don't see it as homework i see it as just making sure your story is carried across so it's the least i can do um but well, it's fucking a blast dude if you ever get to australia i'll take you out for a fucking burger um and then i'll stand at the back and watch you guys finally in live um but yeah look mean the world uh down the track let's do a part two sounds good dude yeah i'd love to come back anytime uh legend man look a lot of love again a lot of respect um and you have a great rest of your day you too man cheers thank you very much uh thanks alex all right take care
So that was my chat with Alex of Undeath. And at the end there, the first track you heard was Suitably Hacked to Gore. Second track was Shackles of Sanity. And the third track was Acidic Twilight Visions. All three of those tracks come off the band's outstanding album titled Lesions of a Different Kind. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed that music, or you enjoyed that conversation, now's your chance. Get online, support Alex and the band. So there's lots of music. Get into it. Deep dive into it. If you're into physicals, make sure you grab yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into some merch, get on there, cop some. Grab a beach towel, grab a t-shirt, or grab some shorts. I have to take this moment to thank Alex again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Let's do a part two very soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 168. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.